Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, Jim. Hi, Maeve. <laughs> How's it going? Getting better every day. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah at least in New York. In, yeah. In, in my small world. And how are you? All good. All good. Excited to, um, you know, make a podcast with you. Oh, are you recording? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time I've been recording our conversations in a sort of a Linda trip way. Yeah, I live my life as if everything uh, will be leaked someday. <laughs> this is Social Distance, the Atlantic's podcast about the pandemic. I'm Jim Hamblin, a doctor and a staff writer at The Atlantic. And I'm Maeve Higgins, a comedian and a writer. Maeve, did your mother get vaccinated? She did, yeah. So both of my parents are vaccinated and they both got on very well. No side effects or anything and... They're so happy now, but they are, you know, wilding out. I have to keep reminding them, you need to wait for your next one. There's a 16-week wait as well, which is kind of a pain. So oh, four months wow. before they're, you know, totally secure. But um, it's still great to get the first one done. My goodness. Oh, my gosh. I maybe even had a paradoxical boost in energy after my second dose, which I got last week. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, because some people are like, Oh, I needed to, you know, days off work, but you're like, I feel better than I already feel, which is already pretty great because I take good care of my bod. Uh, oh man, I haven't, I can't say I've felt great in the last 17 months, but mm-hmm. this is anecdotal evidence and it could be because of like the weight of the fear and anxiety yeah. the pandemic was briefly lifted uh, in my yeah. own personal world, but um, it was great. I, I, yeah. But I like the direction you're going because that seems to be like what's happening. It's, you know, lots of carrots, lots of sticks. Because we talked before about, oh, you get a donut or you get a beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now, like, you know, I'm a CUNY student and the City University of New York. And Cuomo just said on Monday that like every everyone's back in class for the fall semester and you have to be vaccinated to go back. And that's a oh. lot. That's like hundreds of thousands of people between CUNY and, and SUNY, like the state university and city university. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering like, oh, are private colleges going to do that? Like, is that just how it's going to be? Yeah, uh, some already have. Uh, mm-hmm. Brown, I know, was early on that. And I believe Rutgers. It's a very weird moment where the U.S. has to make requirements for people to get something that y- you can't even get and you would like to get but you can't because you don't have know. enough even even your parents have only been partially vaccinated so and they've already forgotten probably <laughs> <laughs> how does it feel to be looking across across the pond as people say at americans complaining about vaccine requirements yeah i mean that's been of course, depending on where in the world you are. Like for me, it's a minor annoyance. I would imagine, you know, if you're in India or Brazil, you'd be infuriated. But um, it's been a bit of a minor annoyance. But at the same time, Jim, I'm really pleased to see how safe it's getting in the US and that now, you know, younger kids are going to be vaccinated as in like 12 to 15 year olds, it looks like, have been approved um, for the Pfizer vaccine and 
you remember we talked about children's vaccines like a few weeks ago and so many parents were saying for all different reasons why it was just going to be so important for everyone in their family to be vaccinated. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it really throws into stark relief how wide the disparity globally is in terms of vaccine access and how Mm -hmm. the pandemic, you know, appears to be coming to like screeching to a halt. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not forever, maybe not entirely, but 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 in the U.S. and yet raging elsewhere, and not just say that we predicted that this would happen, we said it would happen, but that mm-hmm. this is the exact intended result of the system we have constructed. <laughs> I, I think it would be good for us to maybe take a, a step back and mm-hmm. talk about how we got here in terms of these vaccine disparities and what could be done about it. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, the world saw over 600,000 new infections just in Uh, the day, you know, and that's the stories behind each one of those are obviously horrific, you know, so. And that's even seems to be far off. Oh, you think so? I mean, we've always just been doing the best that we can in terms of reporting cases because you have to go get tested, but it just becomes enormously harder when your country's hospitals are overloaded and there's no doctors you could go see at all or any, you know, the people with more mild cases are probably just going to ride it out at home and not get go in and get tested. Uh, Ashish Jha tweeted that the, uh, you know, you don't know, we don't know how many people are, are dying in India. In his estimation, it's in the tens of thousands just based on how overloaded the crematoria are. Mm-hmm. You can't keep up with something when it's, raging like that you know so then when we saw last week the vaccine waiver news i was thrilled because i remember talking to you you know the idea of vaccine nationalism and like the variety of ways that the u.s could help other nations that were struggling like what were your feelings jim when you saw that news it was was it surprising Uh, well in case any of you listening haven't been following vaccine ip Mm -hmm. discussions as closely as i have uh the biden administration said last week that they would back a plan to waive the patent protections that pharmaceutical companies have on their vaccines. But it sounded vague. <laughs> and and Biden has already, yeah. you know, he promised during his campaign that he would do that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a new thing. It sounds like a sounds like a more substantive commitment, but I'm not certain what to make of it or what if it would actually make a real difference, especially at this point. Really? I I mean <sighs> What's the case against waiving the patents? <laughs> well, the opposition is that the reason patents exist is to make sure that people will have, an, or not people, mm. enormous corporations will have an incentive to create. You see products. them as people, though. You R- right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> you're one of the fr- areas you're friends where we with disagree, so many. <laughs> but yeah, uh, <laughs> the the argument is that corporations would not invest in products that do take a long time to test and develop and there's a lot of overhead involved Mm -hmm. if they're not guaranteed that they are gonna make some money um Mm -hmm. or you know that the odds are very good that they are and someone else can't come along and steal their their design i mean that's the idea behind it Um, right okay so that's like i saw that moderna had lost money like every year since it was set up (laughs) and and now suddenly it's like but now we're going to make so much money. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I didn't really feel for them because I felt more like, well, this is really bad and you just need to share because it could help somebody, you know, to stay alive. Like, I don't think it's that. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's kind of the fundamental weirdness about it. Let's call someone who's smarter than I am on this, who can maybe explain the practical implications of like, what does it mean to remove these patent protections now? And does that Mm -hmm. change anything? Okay, great. I'm hoping that you've got somebody lined up. Do you want to tell me who it is? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to call uh, Julie Rovner. She is uh, a legend in uh, healthcare reporting. Mm-hmm. She was at NPR for a very long time, has, has covered health policy since, I believe, the 80s, and knows the ins and outs of where public health intersects with the politics uh, in a way that, you know... In a way that we need to hear. <laughs> also... Do you know her or do you just know her work? I know her professionally. I have just a tremendous uh, uh, respect for her work. So, Okay, great. Let's give her a call. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, could you just say your name and what you do? Yes, I am Julie Rovner. I'm Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News, and I am host of our What the Health podcast. (laughs) Which I love and recommend Mm -hmm. for everyone who is into health policy. Thank you so much. So because the news right now, uh, you know, is very tied up with politics, it's hard for me to (laughs) bring a politics-free public health angle on, on much of anything. But specifically politicized is the vaccine patent waivers question. And I couldn't think of someone better (laughs) to help break down, you know, what does this mean? Will it change anything than you? So, you know, what, what was your reaction to that news last week when the Biden administration indicated that they would be backing patent waivers? Well, of course, because I cover politics, my first inclination was sort of political. It was like, wow, the Biden administration is doing something that the drug industry really doesn't want them to do. And of course, the drug industry is flying high right now. Everybody loves them because, look, they brought us these miraculous vaccines. But someone reminded me that Biden did, in fact, promise to do this Mm -hmm. patent waiver back last summer. So it was a campaign promise. And, you know, then there's sort of the bigger question that I'm sure you want to talk about, about what difference will this make going forward and how fast will it make a difference? I'm asking the questions here. Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I'm over in Ireland and the EU leaders, some of them anyway, have said, like, this isn't going to make the biggest difference. Um, Do you think they have a point? I think it's not going to make a difference right away. Um, and in fact, mm. the, the the CEOs of the companies that are making the vaccines are worried about competition for the raw ingredients that they need to continue to make the vaccines. Um, I was at a uh, a meeting with the ambassador of one of the EU countries. I think I'm not allowed to say which one uh, oh. because it was off the record. You can do that. You can do the accent though, and we'll. Um... <laughs> I'm not very good at it. But he did say, I will say it was a he, he did say that it was really important that particularly less developed countries, not just get vaccine from more developed countries, but that they actually manufacture their own vaccines. I had not sort of heard Mm. that before. This was like a month ago. This was a a country that makes its own vaccines that is going to be making its own vaccines. But 
I think he thought it was he thought this waiver was really important. He really wanted <laughs> to get the rest of the world sort of up and running. Obviously, it will take a very long time. Um, it's not going to help India with its current crisis. India needs vaccines. India has lots of vaccine manufacturing. So I think it may be a long run thing. The other question is, is this a, you know, the the sort of first nose under the camel's tent about intellectual property and waiving patents, particularly for the very powerful drug industry, which I know is powerful, not just in the US, but also in other parts of the world, including the EU. Yeah. So just to clarify the terms, these patent waivers would mean that, and, you know, Pfizer would kind of upload its <laughs> plans or the, or the government would uh, right, it would put you, put them on TikTok, and anybody could screenshot. It, it would be a I recipe. Mean, it, it would be like tasty for vaccines. Yeah, <laughs> but not everyone can just you know go make a vaccine in their kitchen. It would re- it still requires a lot of overhead and time to ramp up and technology. And so you know the question is, are there actually companies out there that would take up making a vaccine? Would make that investment? You know, if they could get the IP, and it isn't Moderna. Moderna already shared theirs mm. right and not a lot of people took them up on it so yeah i don't i mean i would think the companies would want to but i mean these are not sort of simple particularly the mrna ones are not easy vaccines to make mm-hmm. um i don't think it would be that simple for even some of the countries that have vaccine uh, manufacturing capabilities to necessarily do these or to necessarily do these quickly so i don't know for sure but it's definitely an interesting prospect i mean i think that it, assuming the wto the world trade organization goes ahead and does this remember this is just the u.s supporting it the wto uh, actually yeah. has to do it assuming that they actually do this it'll be interesting to see what happens with it it's still a, a step though that's going to be needed right like oh, it's, yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is Biden sort of doing just <laughs> potentially really upsetting the pharmaceutical industry while not necessarily taking a meaningful step to actually help the countries that desperately need vaccines? The U.S. is also doing other things to help countries that desperately need mm-hmm. vaccines. That's I mean, true. there's there's been a lot of concern about the U.S. was kind of slow to help India. And there is this sort of lingering irritation of why are we vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds when there are so many countries in the world that can't vaccinate anybody yet. So there's mm-hmm. this continuing what obligation do does the U.S., not just the U.S., but all the developed countries that now have these vaccines have to the less developed countries and the continual reminder that people don't appreciate that no Nobody is safe until everybody is safe. And then as long yeah. as, you know, there are countries that are basically on fire and creating new variants that could undermine all of the vaccinating that we're doing now. Yeah. Do you have concerns about the argument people like like Bill Gates have made that uh, if we set a precedent now that um, vaccine patents can just be made public, that there will be even less development, uh, you know, investment from the industry? in vaccines we might need for for future pandemics? Well, my impression is that most of the investment was made by the government. (laughs) Vaccine drug companies are still not not investing that much. I mean, you know, drug companies not investing in vaccines is not a new thing. I've been writing about it for 20 years. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I do, I mean, there is this whole argument and I've been covering, you know, drug prices since the 1980s when we first started complaining about them. Um, maybe before that, but that was when <laughs> I started. Uh, and the drug companies have always said, you know, if 
you don't let us make big profits, we won't have money to invest into the next, you know, life-saving medicines. Um, drug companies have been investing in things that are not vaccines for a really mm-hmm. long time. So I'm not sure how much of a precedent this sets for intellectual property on other drugs, but certainly uh, it's something that the drug industry is not thrilled about. I was amazed at how quickly the reaction started flooding into my inbox when this Hmm. was announced last week. I mean, within seconds. And the argument is like, this is going to destroy access to so many medications, or we won't be able to do our jobs if we don't have a billion dollars in profit. Basically, yes. Yeah. You take away the incentive for us to sink money into it if you're just going to give away what we discover. Hmm. And this is not a new argument. This has been the argument about drug prices, too. If we can't earn unlimited profits, then we won't have money to put into R&D. That's effectively what they've been saying since the 1980s. Yeah. And it, but it's an effective argument. It, it works, right? It is. It's an extremely yeah. effective argument. I mean, unlike, you know, I always say that the, the sort of the two industries that were forever sort of haranguing are the drug industry and the tobacco industry. And unlike the tobacco industry, the drug industry makes things we want and need. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking of it as like a model for other industries now, like theater or like <laughs> the arts. Imagine if everyone was like, no, 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 unless you give us billions of dollars and we stand to make a giant profit, like we're not going to help you anymore. Just, it's so brazen. I mean, Maeve, that's what the Marvel comic. <laughs> <laughs> so much as I love the theater, I don't feel like it saves that many people's lives on a daily basis. Wait, wait, laughter is not the best medicine. What am I learning here? <laughs> Is it a bundling issue? Could we just have companies that just make vaccines? And that way they wouldn't be able to say, uh, we're not going to make vaccines because we need the money to invest in cancer. You know, it becomes very muddled and complicated. It uh, does. And and there was. I mean, I remember, I mean, there were not enough companies making childhood vaccines for a while. I mean, this, as I said, this is not a new thing. They don't make as much money off of vaccines, uh, which you give once. and Well, uh, unlike, you know, the flu vaccine, which you give every year. But generally, uh, childhood vaccines you give once, maybe twice. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's just rather than, you know, a statin drug that, you know, a lot of adults will take every day for 20 or 30 years. So it's it, it vaccines are sort of the least profitable piece of the drug industry, but it's I mean because they work so well. Yeah, because they work so well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we want you to take a drug you have to take every single day forever. We and have problems with antibiotics yeah. for the same reason, which is to say you don't take them constantly. You just take them when you're sick. <laughs> oh man. So does it does that mean like the kind of pandemic matters here? So like this is a global emergency, like everyone in the world, like 9 billion people. Do you think the kind of emergency we're seeing now incentivizes research that it could happen, you know, another disease could pop up? I mean, we've obviously never had this kind of a global pandemic before. And I think that's part of the problem with being able to, you know, usually when we even when we had Ebola, you know, we could send everything to the one place where it was. Um, Mm -hmm. This this is a true pandemic. Uh, and, And I do think, you know, that things are different, although every, you know, a lot of scientists are expecting that this will not be the last pandemic that, you know, as we have these diseases that jump from animals to people that people have, you know, no resistance to, it could happen again. And it could conceivably happen again with something that's even more deadly than this one. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely uncharted territory, but I think people are kind of looking at it to see, are we going to have a different 
feeling for how public health and how the medical system works. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was interested at the beginning to see how nation's various health systems were able to deal with this. And I realized very quickly that it wasn't so much a test of health systems as it was a test of public health systems and that places that mm -hmm. had good, very robust public health systems were better able to deal with it than places that necessarily had, you know, universal health care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you solve this problem for us? Like if, if you could take politics out of it, how should we <laughs> get the global vaccine supply into a, a more sustainable place where we're not having to rely on hoping that companies come through for us next time if you know if if these are companies that won't do so unless they can gar be guaranteed a large profit how do we get around that to have a sustainable plan for the future well, that's, you know, if we had a functioning UN and a functioning world, uh, mm -hmm. you know, World Health Organization, and that's what, what COVAX is. I mean, that's the idea is that the, the wealthier countries are going to come together and help fund vaccines for the poorer countries who can't do it themselves. Because as I said, we're not, not, no one is safe until everyone is safe. So, I mean, yeah. there is self-interest in this too. One would hope that self-interest would kind of help this along. We have that in abundance. Yes, we definitely have that in abundance. <laughs> but I think people I'm, don't see it. I mean, this is the constant, why do we give money to other countries? Our foreign aid budget must be huge. Why Why should we give money? Mm -hmm. Why do we care if the rest of the world is at war? Well, we get all our stuff from the rest of the world, which I think we're discovering now. The, the disrupted supply chains, I think, are an eye-opener to a lot of people. How much can you see the influence playing out of the money that Big Pharma donates to politicians do you kind of see that happening like clockwork in your work um, or is it more subtle? Uh, no, it's actually with the drug companies. It's not that subtle. Um, mm -hmm. They do give a lot of money uh, to lawmakers and lawmakers tend to do their bidding um, and they give money. It's not just Republicans. They give money to Democrats and they're Democrats yeah. who are kind of loath to cross the drug industry. Um, this is why Congress has been fighting about drug prices for, you know, 40 years and still hasn't really done anything about it. They haven't even done, you know, some of the, the very low hanging fruit like letting drug companies buy off their generic competition temporarily, which helps the generic company because they're getting paid and it helps the brand name company because they don't have competition. And the only people who aren't helped are the people who actually are trying to buy the drugs. So, I mean, that's been one of these things that just about everybody agrees on. And yet Congress is, you know, they have had great difficulty doing even the easy stuff. So much yeah. less mm -hmm. the hard stuff that might actually do something about the price of prescription drugs. I mean, I think we've all mm -hmm. been to the pharmacy and seen somebody in line who, you know, gets their drugs and looks at the price tag and just walks out without it because they can't afford hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars that they, the patient, are expected to pay. Yeah. I just keep thinking about insulin. I think just because I have friends who immediately when when Biden made his announcement, they were just like, how about insulin? But I guess that's what you're saying. That's been this uh, stalemate. Yes, and it has. And insulin is such a good example because, you know, the original patent for insulin was given away or sold for a dollar. I forget which. Ugh. It was, you know, there was the whole idea was that insulin wasn't supposed to make money. And yet all of these sort of little variations on insulin now cost hundreds and thousands of dollars. And we are seeing people in the United States who literally are dying because they can't, they're diabetics mm -hmm. and they're dying because they can't afford their insulin. 
And and this is coming off of a presidency where uh, Donald Trump said many times that we need to do something about drug prices and he wanted to and he would get cheers at his rallies for it. And and Biden has said the same thing. It would seem like there's bipartisan support for this to happen. And Americans certainly want lower drug prices. And yet yet here we are. Yet here we are. And here uh, we have been for many, many years. This has been an ongoing theme. I have file cabinets full of, of <laughs> now ex-members of Congress vowing to do something about prescription drug prices. I've gotten to the point where I will believe it when I see it. Yeah. God. You don't have them in your file cabinets, but <laughs> no. yeah. I have their statements. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you I for can hear it. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. There's a lot of muffled banging noises in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Some legislators missing. <laughs> um well, what I would love to have heard you say is that this is a big significant move and it's a mm. one uh, you, you think it's really gonna change things, waving these patents. But uh, unfortunately, uh, the, I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, TBD. Yes, I think it. I think when they when they waive the patents for treatments, that will be. I mean, I think waiving the patents for vaccines, it's an important step. But I don't know that that it gets followed by anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd love to be proven wrong, but <laughs> I have grown cynical about drug prices over almost 40 years of covering them. Yeah. My cynicism would be through the roof if I were you. I've been doing it for fewer years and I've already maxed out the cynicism meter. Well, I've just bought shares in Johnson Johnson, so I'm feeling pretty yeah, good, Yeah, and guys. meanwhile, Maeve <laughs> is profiting massively off the pharmaceutical industry. We should have mentioned that up top. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't see me, but I'm in a massive fur coat here on the Zoom call and a, yeah, diamonds. <laughs> oh. Uh, I love your show. I've been listening. It's so good. And there's always so many women on it, too. Uh, that we, are, we are an all-women panelist podcast. Well, I love hearing yeah. you on Wait, Wait, which I, oh, thank you. Which I listen to every week and have, I think, from the beginning. They originally taped it right outside my desk at NPR. So, Oh, for God's no way. sake. Oh, yeah. They, I used to sneak in and watch them tape. Because they used to do it, um, no audience or nothing. Right, just, right. They were in yeah. three. Well, Carl and... Usually a Peter. panelist or two. No, Peter was still was always in Chicago. Peter oh. was never in Washington, but Carl was in Washington. And Roxanne, if she was on, was in Washington. So she would be in there. You know, whoever, whatever Washington panelists they had. And so it was all sort of engineered from different places. But it was hilarious to go. I would go. If they did it in the big studio in 3A in the old building. And so you could go in. There was sort of a little viewing room. And I would hmm. I would sneak in. Oh, that's so fun. I mean, we're kind of back to doing that now again because we're all over the place. Right. And, um, they do pipe in some cheers and claps, but just a little bit. <laughs> but it really does feel like, you know, okay, we're all just in our bedrooms. Like, let's try and make each other laugh. I know. I, re- I remember the old days when it was all all from Aww. afar. Yeah. Back to that now. <sighs> um. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This is very helpful. And uh, it's great to hear your voice. Always a pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Maeve. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. 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 Yeah, so that was cool because I've been listening to her show. So it's great to talk to her. Yeah, a a legend. I wanted to let you know something about the hen here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, little Jim Hamblin, who... So in case... (laughs) 
<laughs> in case people don't know about my family's hens, uh, <laughs> you know that one of them is named, one of the four is named Jim Hamblin, and she is now really turned nasty. Oh, because no. I know, because um, she's broody and she's the first one to get that way. Mm. and so she's been fighting my dad like so she's sitting on an egg you know and she's thinks it's gonna hatch but it can't hatch because you know it's not fertilized because there's no roosters it's really sad (laughs) and kind of funny because she's just like my baby and it's like that's not your baby like that is just an egg and Mm. no matter how long you sit on it jim it's not going to hatch. So then you go in to get her in the morning and she goes ape. It's bad. She tries oh, to get you. This can't be the first time someone has encountered this situation. What do other people with hens do? It's really common, but this is the first time that these hens have gotten broody and she's the first one for that to happen. So, I mean, my dad has a lot of uh, ways of dealing with it. That I he puts a bucket over them. Oh, he like puts a bucket over the hen. Um, There's people in the business, and you call them up, and they take care of it, and that's all that we need to know. <laughs> no, they don't. There's nothing really like to do. It's just it passes, mm-hmm. and I think it's just a feeling that a hen gets, and I think it just lifts. Um, you take the egg though. Oh, yeah, of course. Sure. That's why we have them. Yeah. But that's why you feel so mean, because she really is invested in this egg because she thinks it's going to, you know, become like her kid. Yeah. Me and the hen Jim Hamlin have a cosmic connection wherein when one of us is feeling pain or angst or <laughs> despair, the other feels it, too. <laughs> you know what? This matches up with when you got your second shot and you felt better. Uh-huh. That's when she started to go downhill. Oh, man. Yeah, this this is too weird. Uh, <laughs> but I think that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, so if you start thinking about baby chickens, then, you know, you're linked. You know, there's honestly uh, more logic there than there is in the um, politics of vaccine production. So <laughs> I know. And I, yeah. <laughs> she's like the drug companies who are just like hissing and pecking at you when you try and take their profits away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well put. Um, Thank you so much, Maeve. I, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jim. Social distance is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from senior producer AC Valdez. We love hearing from listeners. If there's something you'd like us to talk about on an upcoming show, our email is socialdistanceattheatlantic.com and our voicemail line is 202-642-6487. And finally, as always, if you like this show and want access to all of The Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing at theatlantic.com slash support us. Jim, isn't it Kevin's last day today? Our producer, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, oh no yeah i don't know if we can say this kevin is going to go start working on a new show i'm saying it so uh yeah. we're, we don't we're not uh, launching it officially yet but he's working on a new project much in the vein of the way Catherine took some time to work on a new project <laughs> and has not managed to find her way back too often but i hope he he does more often kevin has made the show what it is leading production on it for how long has it been, Kevin? The last eight months? 
Yeah, probably something like that. <laughs> Some, I mean, you were you and Alvin were doing it at the at the beginning, and then it's just been just you since for like the second half of its existence. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. So many things that you've uh, saved me from saying. <laughs> <laughs> that you've edited out. And well, that was why and... we thought Kevin could say what those things are now. Actually, <laughs> perfect. No, no, I've, I've got all those all those edits saved up in a cache of audio to deploy <laughs> as blackmail when needed. Yeah. So yeah. Good luck with uh, your new show. It's going to be wonderful. Thanks. I'll 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 be I'll be back. You, you, this is not the last <laughs> thing of me. Mm-hmm. That's what Catherine said. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, do you want to share any particular uh, lessons or memories uh, that you've taken from listening to hundreds of thousands of hours of <laughs> uh, us talking about the pandemic and then making it, I don't want to say we sound smart, but we sound much better than we do in real life? I would say I'll, I'll share, this is not so much a lesson, but a feeling, which is that like the pandemic and the way that everyone's locked down and, you know, been shut in and isolated like this show, I think it's come through for listeners and it's definitely been true for me. It's a feeling of being much more connected to other people going through a similar experience and having like the same anxieties and questions. And I really love that about the show and appreciate about that. Mm-hmm. And about the listeners and about you too, and, and Catherine and AC and, and Elvin who, and everyone who's worked on the show. It's just been, it's kind of a great way to have a collective project about this weird, awful thing we're going through in a somewhat isolated mm-hmm. way. Well, oh, it's yeah. because of your work that uh, yeah. we, if we've been able to create that feeling for people. So thanks so much, Kevin. And can't wait to hear the new show. Well, that's that's very generous and I'm excited for it. And I it's entirely to... about hens. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, Jim, we're not we're not uh-huh. public with hen talk. Just <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, we're not talking about the concept yet, but it involves hen talk. I can't wait. What the flock? <laughs> that's the title that Jim would hate. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're just cribbing from <laughs> Julie's show now. What the hell? I am. What the hell? Yeah, I just, I love that title, I have to say. Makes me laugh. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Talk, Talk to you all soon. soon. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 Kevin, don't edit that out. You have to leave yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.